Welcome to the JT The Brick Show. You know, when you put the silver and black uniform on, you get such a surge of energy. It's time for the JT The Brick Show. And a lot of football players around the country that want to wear that silver and black. JT The Brick. When you talk about the Raiders, everyone knows you talk about the Raiders. On Raider Nation Radio 920 AM, here's your host, JT The Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you. Hour number two of the show. You know, we're always brought to you by PTs. They have the best happy hour in town, 64-plus locations. Wide open, the place to be, I believe, to watch the Golden Knights. So many opportunities to be at a BT's and to be there during a Golden Knights game, during happy hour from 5 to 7 and midnight to 2. They're an official partner of the Vegas Golden Knights. I'll talk about the Golden Knights. What a game last night that they lost. And as I was on the air last night when they lost watching that game, I believe the team wants to win the President's Trophy for the best record. Why wouldn't you? You're a four-year franchise, brand new. You want that trophy in the trophy case. It's gorgeous. Now, you don't have to pick it up. You can think it's jinxed. I don't care. You want that trophy. They had an opportunity last night to slam dunk the President's Trophy, and they didn't do it. And that hurt in a big way. I wanted that game bad last night. They ran into a hot goalie. I think Leonard played well. The game was tough. Look, Colorado-St. Louis... Whoever they play in the playoffs, Minnesota, it's going to be hard. They're better. Vegas is better than the other teams. They are. When you got a defense that has Petrangelo, Alec Martinez, Shea Theodore, and you got three lines that's like an all-star team, and you got Flurry and Leonard, you're supposed to win the cup. They're that good. But hockey's hockey. You run into a hot goalie like last night. I don't care how good you are. So we'll get to that a little bit later on. Rick Harrell, the sports professor, is going to join us. Maybe Johnny Katz. He's at the Mark Davis press conference, which I would have liked to have gone to today for the Aces, but we're on the air. Tomorrow I'll be at the Mike, Mike Davis, the legendary Raiders, a celebration of life. So we'll be here tomorrow. Then I'm uh, scooting over for that. And it's big, and it's a lot going on. The breaking news today is Major League Baseball basically told the Oakland A's in Oakland you better figure out your situation, and they're looking towards relocation. A lot of people are asking about Vegas. I'm getting text message after text message. I don't think Major League Baseball works in this town. It's just too big. you got to get thirty five to 40,000 people. It's too hot. And if you're going to do it, you got to build a dome, and no one wants to go to a dome to watch baseball, okay? No one wants to go to, to, to do a dome in Vegas to watch baseball. I love the aviators. I live across the street. I love the aviators. I love that ballpark. I'm cool with AAA. If you want baseball, Major League Baseball, and you're paying for Raider season tickets, Golden Knight season tickets, concerts, restaurants, nightlife, gambling, you really got money for Major League Baseball season tickets and parking? You do? Okay, you're doing real well. Good, good for you. Good for you. We're a transient town, and people will come here to watch the Cubs and the Diamondbacks, and it won't work. I don't think, if I'm wrong, I've been wrong my whole life. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'll throw on, you know, a, a Yankee hat, and I'll go to the game. If it gets me to see the Yankees four times a year here, I'm cool with it. But baseball's different, especially in this town. If you disagree with me, call me. If you think baseball will work, Major League Baseball in Vegas, give me a call. Tell me how it's going to work with everything I said. Where would you put the stadium? Where? Where do you think people would go and go watch baseball on a weeknight? Anybody can go anywhere on a Friday, Saturday night. That's not hard. I'm talking Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night. Are you going to go to a Major League Baseball game when a bad team's in town and those other fans are taking up half the building. Because remember, baseball, you want to talk about a place that will have Red Sox fans embarrass us. 
The Eagle fans aren't going to embarrass us in Vegas when they come to play the Raiders. There'll be plenty of Raider fans, and the Raider fans will be the mass majority. You bring the Philadelphia Phillies out here for a game, or the Chicago Cubs, yeah, good luck. Good luck thinking new Oakland A's fans in Vegas are going to go support the Oakland A's in Vegas. I don't see it. I don't see it, but maybe I'm wrong. I want to get to the big column that Vinny Bonsignor wrote. Uh, he wrote, wrote it two days ago on all the new faces on the Raiders' defense. It's exceptional. Vinny broke down every single position on the, uh, on the Raiders, and it's a really good deep dive. I printed it out. I have it with me, and Raiders add new faces on defense, but will results follow? And the overview, as Vinny wrote, the overview, I'll read it to you. He said the Raiders allowed the third most points in the NFL last season at 29.9 per game. Had the fourth fewest sacks with 21 and the third fewest takeaways with 15. They allowed opponents to convert 48.7% on third downs into first downs. Third worst in the league. If you're wondering why the Raiders suffered a second-half collapse for the second straight season and how an offense that scored the 10th most points in the NFL did not reach the playoffs, those dismal defensive numbers tell the story. They spent most of the offseason making sure that doesn't happen again, beginning with the hiring of Gus Bradley as the new defensive coordinator and a slew of free agents and draft additions. So then I'll get into what Vinny did in breaking down every position. My big takeaway is this. There's not enough positions. There's just not. So a lot of guys here, listen to Vinny has for the starters, and I disagree with this. He has Cleland Farrell at defensive end and Yannick Ngakwe. I disagree. I would have Max Crosby as a starter and Yannick Ngakwe. Cleland Farrell has not. I know he's a better athlete technically in talent than Max Crosby. He was taken fourth overall. I'm more of a Mad Max guy. I like Mad Max on the field more than I do Cleland Farrell. I'd like to move Cleland Farrell interior to defensive tackle, where Vinny has Quentin Jefferson and Jonathan Hankins at D-tackle. But here's what blows me away. Listen to the reserve list for the Raiders on the defensive line. Max Crosby, Carl Nassib, Malcolm Kuntz, Matt Dickerson, Kendall Vickers, Jerry Green, Solomon Thomas, David Irving, Darius Phylon, Darius Stills, Niall Scott. Really? How many, how many guys you want on the team? You can't get, those guys aren't going to make the team. So you got too many guys. So who's going to make the team? That's what I want to know about. We'll be diving into that. I'll get to the other position groups coming up. 702-365-9200. We were ambushed on this A's topic potentially moving. And I want to get into the NBA. And coming up, Rob Domoski is going to join us. Great guest. He covers the Packers for ESPN. You see him on TV all the time. He's supposed to call in here momentarily. Big Al in San Francisco. How you been, my friend? What do you got? I just wanted to call in, say hello, talk a little bit of Steph Curry. Um, I hope that uh, everybody is enjoying the opportunity to watch him because what we're seeing this season is just, I mean, it's pretty special. He passed another mark the other day that's only been, uh, it was last night, that has only been passed by four players in the history of the game, and he did it twice, and that's most threes in a season. And so far, the Warriors have only played 69 games, and he played like 60. So he's passing marks 
you know, that with only like 75% of the season done for him because he missed all those games. Hey, Big Al, let me ask you for a second. You're in the game. You're at every game, home and away, in the building. What's going on with the fans? I saw more fans than I expected last night. What's the capacity? Is it 20% or less? It was about 20%. It was 4,100 last night. Right. Um, but it sounded like it was about, you know, it sounded like about 10,000 people Good. last night. Now, these people are rambunctious. So, you know, Warrior fans have always been rambunctious. They always, they, you know, they're, they're, they're just as loud, loud as our beloved Raider fans are. And uh, San Francisco Giant fans, when the Giants are winning, they're the same way. Uh, it's, you know, it's loud. And, I, you know, tonight uh, the team draws the sun. So it's a back-to-back and, you know, against two very good teams, one and two in the West. Uh, each game, it seems like there's more and more people, whether this, whether they're, they're lifting restrictions a little bit or they're being lenient with restrictions. Or people are just getting more comfortable with the fact. And also, because you have to get tested. So if you don't get tested, you don't come in. But if you're vaccinated and you have the card, you can get in. So every game is going to be a little bit more for people. Whoa, 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 whoa. I want to clarify this. So if you don't, if you're not vaccinated, you're not allowed in the building, even in a separate pod. No, if you're, if you're not tested. Tested. You didn't take the, and the Warriors pay, the te- pay for your test. Okay, then you can't come in the building. But every day in San Francisco, more and more people are getting tests, are getting vaccinated, so they don't have to get tested. Okay. So, so if you don't show, if you come to the building, and you don't have, um, and you don't, and you're not tested, you're not getting in the building. And the story, there's okay. no way around it. But if you if you're vaccinated and you show your vax card, then you can get in. The, you can buy a ticket and you and you can come in the building. Hey, Big Al, before you go, because I got a guest on hold here. The A story is breaking news today. You're a guy that's always at the Coliseum. You were always inside the building when the Warriors were in Oakland. You know Dave Cavill and his background story. Do you believe that the A's fans are going through this crap again about a stadium at the Howard Terminal and still being pulled down this road in Oakland after how passionate those fans are? Those fans are Warriors fans and Raider fans. Yeah, you know, this has been happening since I... I joke around. This has been happening since the A's played in Kansas City, and that was back in the late '60s. Until the A's are able to go out and actually get their leverage, the city is never going to take them seriously. And they've come up with their things: well, we're going to play in Fremont, and we're going to play in San Jose. That's all over the last ten or fifteen years. But until that time actually comes, where they actually get their leverage, whether that leverage is in Las Vegas or whether that leverage is in Fresno or points beyond. Uh, Sacramento is more realistic than Fresno. Um, it's going to just continue to happen. Right. You know, it, it, I've just resigned myself to the fact whenever I hear it, I just roll my eyes. And until they truly get their leverage, the uh, Oakland's not going to help them out. Thanks, Big Al. Appreciate the call. He, he really called in on Steph Curry. But the bigger topic is the A's today. Steph Curry's insane. He could win the MVP. He's played enough games. I think he's only missed eight games. Jokic, I think, is going to win it in Denver. But Curry, I watch a lot of those games. Man, he is insane what Curry's doing for the Warriors. All right, it's a pleasure to welcome Rob Demosky to the show. He covers the Packers for ESPN. Thrilled to have him on. Rob, thanks for doing this. And let's begin. What's everybody on the ground in Green Bay saying about how Adam Schefter released the news on draft day and what's new with the Aaron Rodgers rumors? Yeah, I mean, basically, from a team perspective, you know, they said all along, hey, you know, this wasn't our story. We didn't want this out. Um, you know, so anybody who thinks the team released it, um, you know, is is was is wrong on that account. I'm, I can't really speak to, you know, Adam's reporting other than there's nothing that he's reported. 
that's been refuted. And in fact, uh, JT, other details by other really good reporters around the country have just added to the to the report that there's you know disgruntlement, unhappiness, and things that Rogers is 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 basically at a breaking point with. Rob, what are the similarities to you with the Brett Favre scenario? You were there for that. When you look yeah. back at it, what are the what is really close and similar to it, and what is not that the media doesn't get? Yeah, yeah, and, and that's a good, really good question. I honestly think there's more differences than there are similarities, uh, other than the fact that you have uh, a really headstrong, really talented, really smart quarterback who sometimes you know can be that smartness and that that street smarts book smarts you know whatever the case may be can be to their detriment and that they overthink things i mean jt you've been around some of these guys uh you know that are the top of their sports it's incredible how sometimes you know they're they're fragile people they're they need to be needed i mean brett's case was exactly that like he wanted to be wanted and that was the whole thing about you know retiring not retiring but I think that's where the similarities end. The differences really are so great in the sense that, um, you know, Brett was retiring, you know, or not retiring every offseason since about 2002 or three. So the Packers kind of had to prepare for life after him. So they drafted Aaron Rodgers, who obviously fell into their lap. With Rodgers, you know, he has never said anything about not wanting to play. In fact, he said he's wanted to play into his 40s and he wanted to do it in Green Bay. So from that perspective, it's so different that the, the Jordan Love pick is so different than the Aaron Rodgers pick because it, it just, you know, it, it wasn't necessary uh, given Rodgers' situation. Now, maybe the Packers thought Rodgers was on the decline, and, and, and that's why they did it, because he was coming off to, you know, not so great years. Um, and, and then the other situation is Brett wanted, ultimately when Brett decided he wanted to come back and play, he wanted to do it in Green Bay. Aaron, it sounds like, doesn't want to do it in Green Bay. So I think that's, you know, where there are more differences than there are similarities. Rob Domofsky is our guest, ESPN, NFL insider for the Packers. Rob, it's, it's really unique to me because I can get why Rodgers could say, I've been there, done that, and I did enough in Green Bay. I believe in fiancés and wives and Sierra and Seattle <laughs> and other ones having control and Giselle wanting Tom to be maybe in Florida. That's all part of the mystery behind yeah. this. But when you look at Jordan Love, I still can't get off that, that the fact that the Packers guessed wrong with the wrong type of player who didn't want to deal with that. When Aaron took over for Brett, I don't know how much Aaron stewed about not being able to play. We don't hear anything from Jordan Love. You cover the team. How is he handling yeah. this, and how sympathetic of a figure is he in Green Bay? Yeah, I mean, Matt LaFleur has you know, said after the draft last weekend that essentially, I'm paraphrasing here, but essentially he's trying to isolate and insulate Jordan Love from all this talk because Jordan Love's got work to do. He's got to develop. Um, JT, they were never planning to play him in 2021. Uh, that's why he was the third-string quarterback last year. I mean, think about that. The first, Their first-round pick was a third-string quarterback as a rookie and was inactive for every game. They wanted to bring him along slowly, and part of that was, okay, you're, you're the backup in year three. You're the, you're, the, uh, you're the number three in year one. Now you're the number two in year two, and now all of a sudden they might have to get him ready to play. I don't think there's any animosity toward Jordan Love from anybody, from fans, 
you know, not even Rogers. I mean, Rogers, the one thing that he's done was I think he's done a pretty good job of mentoring the guy because he knows what it was like when Favre kind of shut him out. Remember, JT, when Brett said, uh, it's not in my contract that I've got to mentor Aaron Rodgers. I mean, that was like uh, the famous and shocking quote from Favre, his, you know, Rogers rookie year. I, and, and I don't have any indication that Rogers has treated Jordan Love as such, but the bottom line is, that Jordan Love's not ready to play, and, they, and he was never expected to be ready to play. Uh, so if, if Rodgers is indeed done here, you know, I don't think unless Jordan Love just goes out and wows him in preseason, they're going to have to find a, a bridge-the-gap quarterback between Rodgers and Love. And, and this offseason was going to be really interesting to see how Jordan Love improved and progressed because, look, we, there were no preseason games last year. All we saw was three, four weeks of training camp, and it was a – it was a truncated training camp at that. Um, and, you know, the media doesn't get to watch much practice during the regular season. And what we watch are just, you know, quarterbacks throwing the receivers with no defenders around. So, uh, yeah, we were all looking forward to seeing Jordan Love and how he progressed. Now we're looking forward to seeing Jordan Love and see if he can be the starter. Wrapping it up with Rob Domofsky covers the Packers for ESPN NFL Nation covering sports in Green Bay since 1997. So two trade scenarios. Number one, I'm out west in Vegas. Before I get to the Raiders, it's Denver. Everybody in Vegas is worried about Denver because Denver (laughs) could do this easily. They could move a quarterback and they could move as many first-round picks and some good talent like Patrick Sertain. Are you sensing that Denver is the best fit as we're all talking about a trade fit? My sense on the on Thursday of draft night was that there people in Denver thought they maybe had a deal done. Um, and, and look, there was one team that called on draft night. Uh, the Packers have never identified who it was, but I'm pretty sure it was Denver. Uh, and they got all excited out there that, that it was going to happen. And I think Rodgers would have been okay with that. But the Packers still go back to the point, we're not trading them. Now, when that changes... Uh, if Rodgers continues to hold the hard line, you know, when do they make that decision, JT, to actually trade him? Is it is it right before training camp? Is it halfway through training camp? Is it, you know, right before week one? Um, I still think Denver's a fit. I, I think Miami might be a fit. I think the, the Raiders might be a fit. And that may be about it. And they're certainly not sending them to an NFC team. There's just no way. And then if you look at the AFC, I mean, I'm just going to pick out, you know, a team, for example, like, Cincinnati, I mean, they're not going to trade for Aaron Rodgers because they have Joe Burrow. I'm not saying Joe Burrow is better than Aaron Rodgers, but you've done, you know, you've invested in this guy, and there's a bunch of teams like that in the AFC, the Chargers with Justin Herbert, the Cardinals with Kyler Murray. Again, I think Rodgers is probably better than all those guys, but if you're those organizations, you're not, you're just not, you know, scrapping what you had planned and and getting Aaron Rodgers. It's just not going to happen. Finally, I want Carr to stay in Vegas, and I know him well. And the Raiders, they understand he's in his fourth year with Gruden. But I have to bring this up. If it was Gruden trading for Rodgers with three first-round picks or two in Carr, wouldn't it be fair to say that Carr could win a Super Bowl in Green Bay? He's that good that if Rodgers left and Carr came in with this loaded NFC Packers team going back to the NFC Championship game, Pack, the Packers would have to look at that. Yeah, well, don't forget who uh, Devontae Adams' receipt, or, uh, quarterback was in college, right? Right. Der- Derek Carr. I mean, they have a connection, and, uh, yeah, it, it could work. Now, I mean, it's fun to talk about in theory and all this, but I, I just I, I just wonder when 
something's going to give and either they force Rodgers to sit out or he or they actually give in and trade him. I, I at this point I, I don't know which way they go to be to be perfectly mm-hmm. honest with you, but uh to me that's that's a definitely a viable option. I had one um scout tell me he thinks the the price is two first round picks, a second and a quarterback. So that would work. Mm-hmm. Rob, last one, the timeline on this. It's a great topic for the summer nationally. Yeah. Uh, you cover the sport nationally and in Green Bay. What are the dates we have to look at now, now that the draft's over, the off-season's here? When, when do you expect this to really heat up? Well, there's a couple of um, you know, mileposts here that, that we need to look at, JT. Uh, May 24th is the start of their uh, OTAs in person. Of course, that's voluntary. Uh, don't expect Rodgers to show up for that. Uh, then June 1st would be the earliest possible date that would make sense to trade him from a salary cap standpoint after June 1, as they would save much more on their cap if they did it after that. Uh, then June 15th is their mandatory mini camp. Obviously, you know that's the only thing that the players have to go to. If Rodgers doesn't show up for that, he's subject to oh, around $100,000 in fines. Um, you know, and then we get into that dead time between you know end of June and end of July where uh, you know, probably, you know, not much is going to happen until right before training camp, and, and then we go from there. Great, Rob. Unbelievable insight. Thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. You got it, JT. Anytime. Yeah, my pleasure. Rob Domofsky knows the Packers as good as anybody as we continue here on Raider Nation Radio. And again, with all the respect I can give to Derek Carr. I'm a Derek Carr guy. I'd like, I would like to see Derek Carr remain the long-term quarterback for the Raiders. Why wouldn't I? Been great to me. I like him. You can win with Derek Carr. I'm convinced you can win with Derek Carr if you have a legitimate defense. He's got all the weapons you need. Aaron Rodgers' name is out there. Sorry, got to do my job. Got to explore the blockade of Denver. Because if you told me today, I'm pretty confident Rodgers is going to end up in Denver. And that's not good. And that's going to be the big topic, I think, for a number of weeks, maybe a number of months, depending on this June date that Rob just talked about. Rick Harrell, the sports professor, and your phone calls as Vegas is opening up and the country is opening up with sports. And the way the board was falling today... Uh, we loved it. I, we didn't, I, I didn't think that Kuntz and Diablo would get to us at 79 and 80. I really didn't. Um, so we were ecstatic about that. That's Mike Mayock, JT, back with you as we continue. We're talking about the opening of sports around America, and I think it's a perfect segue today with the Oakland A's now getting forced to really figure out what they're going to do before they have to relocate. Rick Harrell, the sports professor who joins us earlier today in Worcester, Mass., for the AAA Red Sox new stadium, the Woo Sox, brand-new $157 million stadium, and it's a AAA franchise. How are you, Professor? I feel really good. I feel good for Larry Lucchino, who, if you remember, did Camden Yards and then Petco and Fenway, and he's been playing a big game of chicken with Providence slash Pawtucket, Pawtucket Red Sox. Remember, we're the kind of old guard AAA franchise for years. And Rhode Island said, we're going to call your bluff. 
The next thing they knew, Massachusetts put up significant money, $60 million state, $100 million city credit. And at the end of the day, it's the most expensive minor league baseball stadium in history. And boy, those shrimp cocktail and hamburgers <laughs> at the opening sure were good. Well, I'll tell you this. It's really a good segue to the big topic that the Oakland A's will start exploring relocation possibilities after Major League Baseball suggested the organization consider moving to other cities. If the Howard Terminal Stadium proposal is not approved, you know Oakland. The Raiders are here in Vegas. The Warriors went to San Francisco. How big of a story is this? Because you're talking about money being moved in Massachusetts for a Red Sox AAA affiliate. That can't happen for a major league team in Oakland? Well, listen, it's the same kind of deal. You might say that it's made it easier for the A's to get their deal done because in many ways, it's like the Rhode Island example I just mentioned. Everybody calls your bluff until the team leaves, and then after the team leaves, you're saying, man, I wish we could have kept him here. And the bottom line is it's not that. And so at the end of the day, the idea of Major League Baseball saying the Howard Terminal idea is a great one because it's real estate, it's development, it's using that existing property that it was Oracle and, and is O.co or whatever they're calling it today. And at the end of the day, if you don't do the deal, you're as good as gone. And by the way, the city of Oakland has unique national history of losing teams recently at a prolific rate. Nobody's lost two teams this decade, and they better not lose three. That would be the message that people would be giving to the Oakland City Council. Rick Harrell, the sports professor, joins us every two weeks, always on top of the best that I know, on top of the openings coming out of the pandemic. What has encouraged you as of late? Because I'm still talking to fans on two radio shows that are concerned about when they're going to be invited to go. Do they need to have their test? Do they need to have their vaccination? Are tickets available? Will there be expansion with more tickets? How confusing is this time now in May of 2021 for fans to figure this all out? Incredibly confusing, but confusing in a better way than last year. Last year was simple. You couldn't go, period. Yeah. So the advantage of all of this now is that You've got these intricate workings of city, county, state, federal health requirements. And at the end of the day, you could see that they're changing. And with vaccines and with everything that's happening, like this ballpark here in Worcester, I'm pretty sure by the end of the summer, you're going to have close to 100% capacity. And you're having that all over the world. Things are rapidly opening. It's a combination of safety measures the vaccines, the quote-unquote closer herd immunity. And I'm not a doctor, but one thing that's very clear, you're looking at all of the openings and all of the staggered increased capacity restriction limitations from 20% to 50% to 100%, and you better look very quickly at your local media. It is a challenge for marketing directors, but as I said earlier, it sure beats the alternative. Rick Harrow joins us, a sports business consultant analyst, Harvard Law School visiting expert, longtime friend of mine. So you know Adam Silverwell, the commissioner of the NBA, and you know Gary Bettman of the NHL. Playoffs are starting pretty much immediately now. I talked to Bill Foley a month ago. He wanted the Golden Knights at full capacity. Last night they had 7,500, the largest crowd for a hockey game. How much of these owners are the owners pushing the commissioners for full capacity, and what's the pushback from these commissioners? Do they want to be full capacity for the playoffs, or is one league going to be ahead of the other? 
I think they want to make sure they can maximize the comfort and support of the owners. But yet, on the other hand, they don't want to be um, uh, in a position of proactively kind of forcing the politicians to make decisions that the public would feel uncomfortable about. It's a very interesting position. Uh, you know, a lot of the political people are now opening up, some say quicker than otherwise, and the leagues don't want to be the leaders. They want to be the followers, but they also want as much revenue as they can. It's a very interesting dynamic. Rick Harrell, as we wrap it up, so I saw something unique when the Yankees played the Astros recently. There was only 10,000-plus fans. But they hated the Astros so much that they weren't in the suites. They weren't at the Delta Club. They weren't in the Mohegan Sun Club. They were all out screaming, and it sounded like there were 40,000 fans there. I thought that was really unique. And in New York, it really seems like they're struggling in the Bronx and at City Field with the Mets to try to get more fans to come there. Is that, to you, more political in New York like it is with Newsom in Los Angeles? Or is this the same way across the country? If you're asking me whether New York fans are louder than California fans, <laughs> you know the answer to that one. And also, there ought to be some significant promotions at City Field and Yankee Stadium. If you, if you dress up like the top of a garbage can, you get in at half price, right? So both of those are pretty, pretty important elements. Obviously, the fan intensity is critical. And when you look at minor league baseball, for example, here in Worcester, when the first ball got thrown out, by the way, by Pedro Martinez and Louis Tiant, Bob Cousy put in a guest appearance here. They haven't had baseball here in nearly two years. So when you think about what happened with minor league baseball and no fans, I mean minor league baseball, Worcester hasn't had it for 100. But minor league baseball, not for two years, everybody really, really wants the sport back as quickly as they can, and who can blame them? Finally, which sport are you most encouraged about? NASCAR is a leader when it comes to this. We've been talking about the NHL. Taking a look at the pandemic as we go from May to June, which sport do you have as the top of the list for really really getting it done and delivering the most for their fans? I think baseball because they're going to be on the good side of the staggering in, okay. meaning 25% today, maybe 75% by July 4th. Football by the time the late summer gets around, we may be at 100% capacity in college and pro. At least that's what we're hoping. Take care, Professor, and thanks for calling in from the Woo Sox. <laughs> I'm sure yeah, I'm going to try to get Louis, Louis Tian's autograph right now. Take Here care. There he is. Appreciate that. Rick Haro, our business consultant and really important part of what I've been doing, not only on this show but both shows, because we got to know what's happening with the pandemic and when you can go to games. I said this, and again, I mean this. I went to the Golden Knight game on Saturday. They played the Blues. And again, thanks to the Golden Knights, incredible that I could get in there with a credential. And my son was at the game also with a friend, a parent. And I got a chance to see my son at a game. And what blew me away was 50%. It just wasn't the same. And I love the fact that the Golden Knights are getting 50%, and it's going to go to 80 quickly. But, you know, when you sit in the press box, it's not about having a good time. It's about watching the game. But when I left the press box at the end of the first period to bump into my son and see him, it was very surreal walking around T-Mobile with a mask on and bopping around and seeing people. And the energy, the energy is not what I was used to. Still had a good time. Still appreciated the fact that I went to a sporting event. But it was nowhere near to me what a Golden Knights game is at at 100% capacity. When, I mean, people are just walking by in between periods, high-five, and just going crazy. I didn't get the feel. It wasn't the vibe. 
but it was still a great product and a great night and a great opportunity to go out. Parking was interesting. <laughs> getting in was interesting. Getting out was interesting. Vegas is getting more crowded, and I like it crowded at sporting events. And, Bobby, that's the moral of the story. I figured it out with me. There's different scales of fans. Some fans no longer want to go to sporting events because they want to be in their basement with their big screen TVs that are 85-inch and their own beer and their own food. I get it. I want to be at concerts and events that are sold out and crowded. I like crowded, energy, intense places when I leave my home. Because my home, Backyard Brick, is very nice in Summerlin. I look up at the palm trees and they wave in the wind, and it's very quiet. But when I go to a game, I want loud, intense fans. And I, I, I enjoy that. It's an it's a adrenaline rush for me. And I know I speak for a lot of you fans out there who are used to going to games where it's packed. And that brings about a little bit of problems. you got to get there early. you got to deal with traffic. you got to wait in line. you got to wait in line at the concourse for food. I get it. But it's sports. What else are you doing in your life? Especially coming out of a pandemic. But as we talked about with Rick, most people don't understand when they're allowed to go, if tickets are available, how many tickets are left. It's pretty confusing. But Sam and Ash isn't confusing. SamandAshLaw.com. That's our team here. Two for one with Sam and Ash. If you get into an accident, there's only one team to call. And that's at SamandAshLaw.com because you deserve what's right. 702 820 one, two, three, four, salmonashlaw.com. Pitch. Swung on, there it goes. Deep left field. That ball is high. It is far. It is gone. A Stantonian home run. A high drive to left. And into the seats for a Yankee lead. Giancarlo, no si posto palo. That was nice. That was really nice. The Yankee fans, as I said, came out strong to get after Altuve. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that they knew they could not be in their luxury boxes. They could not be eating shrimp cocktail, and they had to be forced to be angry again. Welcome back, JT, as we wrap up the show. If you'd like to get in before the top of the hour, I'm a co-host. No, I'm a solo host. I'd like to hear from you. We're in studio today. It's a milestone for us. We're back in the building. Bobby and I both double-vaxxed. Able to work together, so we're here. Like to hear from you, 702-365-9200. I threw it out in the first hour. It worked well. What is the one Raider game on the national schedule that you want to see? The schedule comes out tomorrow. Comes out tomorrow, I think, about 445. So it'll be after our show. So we're going to miss it here. And I'm not going to be here to recap it as I'm traveling the next day. So what's the one game that you believe that the Raiders should have as their marquee home game other than Kansas City. We know Kansas City is going to be the Thursday night football or Sunday, we would think. The Raiders had four primetime games last year but got robbed of fans. So I believe that the NFL owes them. So I'm just guessing. I think the biggest game of the year is going to be Baltimore. Baltimore is the best team coming into Vegas. 702-365-9200. The Cincinnati game is not going to be a national game. The Bears game could be interesting. 
because the Bears game was national in London. Raiders beat the Bears in London. That was an international game. I could see that. But that's the last game of the year. So that won't happen because they probably flex out of it. No disrespect to the Raiders. If the Raiders are a 12-win team, they might stay with it. But I don't think the Bears game, which is at the end, will be that. And then you could put Philadelphia and Washington in a national game. But those are two non-playoff teams from last year, and the NFL doesn't do that. Now, maybe the Raiders could host the Dolphins on Monday Night Football or Thursday Night Football. But I think the Raiders are going to typically they host the Chargers on Thursday Night Football. So if you had to pick one game for Sunday night or Monday Night Football, what game would it be? I'm guessing it's going to be Baltimore. Guessing. And then the road game that the Raiders could play, they could play Dallas on Thanksgiving because Dallas is hosting Thanksgiving. I think that would work. Or maybe the Raiders at Cleveland. Raiders at Cleveland could be a good national game because both teams, and especially Cleveland, are supposed to be back. Nash and Houston. Thanks for waiting, Nash. What do you got? Hey, uh, appreciate it, JT. Uh, yep. I guess the game I want to see at home certainly is the Bears. I just think uh, Cleo Mack coming back mm-hmm. is always fun. And I'll be interested to see when the schedule comes out. You know, we got some uh, cold weather venues on the schedule, uh, array, uh, you know, away. And so, you know, again, are they going to be back-to-back? Are they going to be in the beginning of the year? Are they going to be in uh, November, December? So I'll be interested to see what they do there. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I think the team has improved this year. I think the whole season really – it comes down to rather Andre James is really ready for prime time mm-hmm. on the offensive line. So he's going to be the guy to watch this year. Well, Martin's there, too, from Houston, as you know, and he can play. I don't, I don't think he's an elite center, but you're right. Andre James, the billing is, is that he's supposed to be able to be the guy who can step in for, you know, a guy like Rodney Hudson and play at a high level, but I can't predict the Pro Bowl level with him. He's just got to do his job, and – Tom Cable has got some depth on that offensive line with Colton Miller now and Alex Leatherwood and Incognito in the depth. But you're right, James has got to play at a high level. Yeah, particularly you think about it with uh, the Chargers and uh, the Broncos. Mm. Both have got head coaches who are defensive guys. So they're going to throw a lot at them, particularly if they get those kind of teams early. So it's going to be exciting to see, man. But I I really enjoy the show. Thank you. Appreciate you listening in Houston. Everybody listening to us nationally on the Raiders mobile app, we appreciate it. Johnny Katz joins us from the Las Vegas Review-Journal, and he was at Mark Davis's press conference with the Aces. Katz, (laughs) how was it? Tell us about it. It was good. Uh, We got to meet uh, Nikki Fargus, the new president Mm -hmm. of the uh, Aces, and... um, so that was it. Was good to see uh, her. She's a very formidable uh, person, very mm-hmm. impressive individual, and uh, ex-player, of course. And uh, and uh, I think she'll add a lot to the team and to the community. And I happen to know her father-in-law real well, who's uh, Antonio Fargus, who is a huggy bear. Oh yeah, actor. yeah. We're but we're buddies. <laughs> wow, the I. Justin Fargus connection, and Justin played for the Raiders. Yeah, this right. is great. That's it. It's all that's all the connection. So I just talked to her about that, and I was in contact with uh, Antonio and texted him some photos of Mark and and Nikki uh, up at the podium together. And you know, the world comes through Las Vegas, JT. What can I tell you? So <laughs> that's uh, just finished up with that. With that, John Katzlamitis joins us. What'd you notice about the stadium? There's more and more events now lining up. Uh, that big announcement about the Win Nightclub. I know a bunch yeah. of Raider fans scratched their head and said Nightclub. I got I got <laughs> to remind the Raider Nation. Cats that there's going to be other events other than football there, like nightclub type of events and concerts and big mm-hmm. shows where people are going to want that nightclub experience. Tell us what you know. Yeah, that's it. It's going to be uh, well, you know, as um, 
I, th- I think the best way to describe this is as, as Hyde is at the top of a, of a T-Mobile mm-hmm. arena. That's technically a club. They're going to de- dedicate a, a, one of the end zones to a, a nightclub that is operated by Wynn Nightlife, and that's going to be a dedicated uh, spot that is going to be activated during the, during the games. And that's, uh, you know, it's part of the, it's not, yeah, it's, you have to have multiple entertainment uh, opportunities in a, in a facility like this. I'm, I'm actually still at the stadium and, uh, and uh, that's what we, you know, do here. That's uh, it's kind of, a, of how uh, my, Las Vegas works, you know. It Absolutely, kind of, kind of a one pony town in a lot of ways with, with the gambling and uh, in the uh, previous incarnation. Now we do it all, and nightclubs are such a big part of our our tourism business here that uh, uh, you almost have to uh, find that audience if you have any kind of significant venue, and um, and they've done it. Yeah, yeah, it's impressive. When I saw it, and I saw it from the field level and inside, it is incredible. I love that you reported that Dave Chappelle is going to turn the MGM Grand Garden Arena into his home court. Tell us about that. <laughs> one of the most popular comedians in the world for quite some time. Well, this is the this is this uh, you know the stress test, the pressure test on uh, on the ticket demand in Las Vegas was his shows at MGM Grand Garden Arena, and they first announced the uh, the July second uh, show. I think it was uh, with his uh, was Dave Chappelle and friends, and they quickly added uh, Joe Rogan mm-hmm. on uh, Ju- uh, July 9th, and then they added another Dave Chappelle and friends show on the third, second and third for those two shows, and then um, another Chappelle and Rogan show on July 8th. So now, long and short of it is that he's got four shows uh, coming in in the first uh, couple of weeks of uh, of uh, July yeah. that are all selling out. So. Um, yeah, uh, that's that's. Uh, I, I can only tell you that he is very popular. He is, um, and and he's the first act to be in that uh, arena since the um, Fury Deontay Wilder fight back in February of 2020. So uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's 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 very interesting. You know, you never know what what you're going to see until you put it up on sale. But uh, yeah, we're talking about we're talking about a lot of tickets sold in four shows, and Rogan helps. You know, but yeah. and that because he's a, such a big podcast uh, presence across the country. So, yeah, no, no cell phones in those shows, by the way. No so, cell phones. Yeah. You're right about that. Johnny mm-hmm. Katz joins us. You know, Dave Chappelle is such a big draw. I love mm-hmm. how you use the term stress test because Vegas mm-hmm. has to win these stress tests because other cities can't do what Vegas can do. So the world, do you sense from all your contacts, are going to be watching with Resorts World opening up in June and these dates coming in July that the whole world and the country here in the United States are going to be saying, hey, if Vegas can do it, they just pulled it off. Now let's get New York, L.A. going and all the other big cities. Yeah, I think, you know, if you look at what we're able to do here, I think places like New York and Broadway, especially when you, if you want to talk about theaters, um, they're watching what we're going to be able to achieve here. And, and if, uh, if they can, if we can, you know, work it out safely here, they can they can uh, measure how they're going to reopen uh, their Broadway theaters, which I think is going to be in the fall in New York. And we're going to have some news about the opening of these residencies at Resorts World tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I'm right. writing about yeah tomorrow early, folks. About six a.m. We're going to have some more specifics about Resorts World uh, and, and it, all their headliners, all of them: uh, oh. Celine Dion, Katy Perry, uh, uh, Luke Bryan, and Carrie Underwood are all. There's are going to be some a, a lot of specifics coming out tomorrow about how you can plan for them, and uh, the the hotel itself is going to open uh, formally uh, over July Fourth weekend and, and uh, the soft opening on June 24th. So that's the time horizon there. And uh, they're going to go big fly with it. They're they're convinced they can they can do it and do it safely. 
Uh, finally, I, when we talked to Bill Foley recently about trying to be at 100% capacity, this is a big deal. I think this is a Stanley Cup run for our Golden Knights. If they could be at 100% capacity at the beginning or early in the playoffs, then it flips the whole league to the best home ice. I think this is a really big story that I'm going to be covering here in the next mm-hmm. couple of weeks. Yeah, I we're right now, we're just, in fact, just upstairs, upstairs talking to, to Mark Davis, the owner of the Aces and Raiders. Um, get vaccinated is the, is the message because the sooner that happens around our county, the more likely it is that we're going to be able to get back and, and be able to, to co-mingle and gather the way we used to. And that's what we're looking at right now. And that, may, that goes for everything in, in, our, in our area, everything in Las Vegas. We need to get to that 60% mark uh, soon. And then we can start talking about how to, you know, <laughs> how to fill an arena for the Golden Knights, you know. Um, but I, I uh, yeah, I, I think we're people are eager eager to get there. I'm inside a place right now that uh, is going to be filled in a, a month or so for uh, Garth Brooks. So, we'll, you know. we'll get to know the stadium. I know the the nooks and crannies too <laughs> from last year, and I want it to be crowded with fans. Uh, thanks for the news. We'll be looking for the new announcement tomorrow. You said on Resorts World. We'll find it on yes. your social media. Yes, yes, it'll be 6 a.m. is going to be new new intel. It'll be the the same headliners, but more details about those headliners. Thanks, my friend. Talk to you soon. Appreciate Uh, it. Always a pleasure, JT. My pleasure. Thank you. Johnny Katz. Johnny Katzalamidis, Las Vegas Review-Journal, the man about town with all the news here. Just at Mark Davis's press conference, which I would have been at today, but we are hosting the show in studio for an array of reasons. An array of reasons, and it's good to be back with Bobby in studio. You know, time flies when you're having fun. I had a lot of fun today. Good to get the phones going. Good to hear from people. So tomorrow we got one more show tomorrow. Then I'm off to New York, in New York, to see my family. Haven't been to New York in a year and a half, and those who know me know I'm a big New York guy. So I'm going back home, hitting the ground quickly. I'll be back Sunday. The Sunday night I'll be a part of the MC team at the park MGM for Coaches versus Cancer with Lon Kruger, Roy Williams, all the coaches that are going to be in town here. There's a lot of college basketball coaches coming in, and you want to talk about a stress test, they're able to pull it off. This is a big, big event, charity event in Vegas, and the team that I work with does an incredible job getting it off the ground. X's and O's the success, and my friends there, so proud to be a part of that. And then we're one step closer to Raiders preseason football. All right, minicamp. Raiders just tweeted out the new numbers. The numbers of all the new rookies, you can find that at the Raiders' social media sites and on the website. So thanks to our guest. We appreciate it. Rob Damoski, Rick Harrell, the sports professor, Johnny Katz, and tomorrow we'll have a big show lined up. Oh, John Perella joins us, former Raider defensive tackle John Perella. Played for the Chargers, came to the Raiders, and was a really good player. And I'm going to ask him about the rivalry and how he came, went from being a well-known, respected Charger to a Raider. He's going to join us tomorrow, I believe, at 12.30 Pacific time. Thanks to all of our partners. Without them, I don't have a radio show. And we like to take care of our partners. And we make sure they're taken care of on, in these two hours and more. Thanks to everybody who supports the show. Good to be back again. Good to be at home at Lotus Broadcasting. Thanks to Bobby for pulling it off today. Vinny Bonsignor. At 4 o'clock, I'm sure he'll have a lot to say. He was also at the Mark Davis Press Conference. Have a great night, everybody. Catch me on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM 82, 7 p.m.
All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great day.